turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 14. <clears throat> Luke chapter 14. We'll be there in a, in a few minutes, but uh, I, <clears throat> I spent some time this week thinking about our theme for the year, Firm Foundation. And <clears throat> as I, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> springtime, right? Everybody gets to deal with allergies. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm only allergic to three things, and I think one of them's blooming right now. <laughs> tumbleweeds. I'm allergic to tumbleweeds. I live in the wrong place. <clears throat> but as I as I as I thought as I have pondered and thought on for actually for several months this idea of a, having a firm foundation, I cannot think of a more fundamental or foundational, that would probably be a better word, a more foundational truth than the teachings of Jesus. Uh, that, you know, that goes to the, the basic foundation of our belief. And, in, and within that, as I, as I thought and prayed, and I, I kept coming back to the parables of Jesus, the foundational teachings of Jesus through, through the parables. And <clears throat> we've, we've looked at a few parables so far this year. Uh, we're going to look at another one this morning. Uh, the one this morning is probably not as well known as some of the ones we've talked about uh, already. Um, but one of the things that I have found, you know, you know Jesus told parables but he never, he never really told us, you know, he never na- named the parables. We, we name the parables, okay? Let me give you a couple examples. There is the, the, um, uh, the parable of the lost coin. Um, the, the woman sweeps her house, keeps sweeping and sweep until she finds the coin. Uh, it's called the parable of the lost coin. Uh, another one, is, and this one we have talked about, is the par- parable of the prodigal son. Um, uh, and and one of the things that's been kind of interesting to me is that the 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 majority of the parables that Jesus gave us, uh, most theologians all call it the same thing: the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son, and so on and so forth. But the parable we're going to read this morning, every commentator that I read called it something different. And I thought that was a little odd. So, I I named it myself. I said, you know, I thought I thought, hey, if they get to do it, so can I, right? So this morning we're going to be looking at what I call <clears throat> the parable of misunderstood truth. The parable of misunderstood truth. That's what I this that's what I'm calling this parable. So let's look at it. Uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, let's start reading in verse 7. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when, uh, when he had marked how they chose the chief room, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bid thee 
and come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou uh, uh, begin with shame to take a lower room. And when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee come, he might say unto thee, Friend, go up higher, that thou may, that thou uh, have uh, worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you uh, for this day. Thank you for this truth, this <clears throat> misunderstood truth that you've given us this morning. And Lord, help us as we look at your word that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, but Lord, most, more importantly, that you would make us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the, message, the title of my message this morning simply is this, under, <clears throat> Understood Truth. Understood Truth. I want to start with a couple of questions. Why did Jesus tell the parable? Why did, why did he tell the parable? And that's, you know, when you, when, when, you, when you read Scripture and you come across a parable, it's always good to ask yourself that question. The second question is, was Jesus trying to hurt the people or help them? Um, the answer to that is, is, is very, very simple. Jesus used parables to help people see what was going on in the, on the inside, to see what was going on in their hearts. He used parables to help them see what was going on. So point number one this morning, let's talk about what is the motive? What is, <clears throat> what is the motive uh, for this parable? Again, let's go back to chapter 14, but let's go to verse 1. Chapter 14 and verse 1, And it came to pass, as he went into the house, one of the chief Pharisees, to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And beheld, excuse me, and behold, there was a certain man before him <clears throat> which had the dropsy. And Jesus answer, answering spake unto the lawyer and the Pharisee, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answering them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway put him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, again, speak to our hearts. And Lord, help us to take the busyness of, the, of this world and, and put it aside for just a few minutes. And Lord, let the word of God speak to us. Amen. The motives of the Pharisees is very clear in this passage. They wanted to, they were, they, they were trying to set Jesus up. 
There's a couple of things here. Look at verse 2. It says, uh, and behold, uh, there was a certain man. Oh, oh wait, let's go back to verse 1. Um, uh, it, it says, and it came to pass as they went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread <clears throat> on the Sabbath day. They what? They watched him. This is a very deliberate watching. This is this is not just a, <clears throat> hey, we're going to just, you know, you know, uh, watch him. No, this is we're going to examine everything that he says, everything that he does, so that we can find a way to trip him up. Now, granted, <clears throat> that doesn't work too good when you're dealing with the Son of God because he doesn't make mistakes. But that's what they were looking for. They were they were watching for just the slightest the slightest opportunity to make accusation. In verse 2 it says and and behold there was a man excuse me a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Now there's a couple of things going on here. The word behold here has the idea of it, it, he this this guy just appeared out of nowhere and it's it's like they were watching him and then all of a sudden this guy appears out of nowhere how convenient because they knew they knew that Jesus would not let him go without healing him on the Sabbath and they were setting a trap. But before they, could, before they could spring the trap, Jesus looks at them. In verse 3, he says, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? The, the guy here has something. The, the Bible calls it dropsy. And I did some research and found out um, what it is. is it, we would call it edema today. Uh, I don't quite understand everything that, what, you know, I'm not a medical person, but those of you that know medicine know probably better than me. But what I could find out is it is uh, swelling caused by too much fluid trapped in the body tissue, usually in the arms and legs. So um, probably what, ha what, what was happening here is this guy's legs and arms were very swollen. Um, and for whatever reason, they called it dropsy back in, in the day, but we call it edema today. <clears throat> but in verse 3, Jesus gets to the truth of the matter. And he asked the, he asked his, uh, his, he asked the people there, uh, the, the lawyer and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He asked the question, and they couldn't answer it. Because if they were truthful, everybody would have known their motivation. They had no desire for truth. They were looking for something to trip Jesus up with. So what does Jesus do? Jesus heals the man and then in verse 5 asks another question. Which of you shall have an ox, uh, have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? 
there was an Old Testament law that said that if a farmer had an animal fall into a pit or a ditch on the Sabbath day, it was perfectly legal for him to go out into his field and save the life of his animal. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But what had happened was the Pharisees and the lawyers and the the religious leaders had taken that law and they had twisted it so much to, to the point that they were claiming that it was unlawful to heal someone who was very sick. Now, I don't know, again, but the little bit of research that I did, edema left unattended can cause death. So here this man is, very sick, And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and say, you're, you're going to tell me that it is okay for me to go save an animal, but possibly let this man die. There's something wrong there. See, that's what religion does. Religion, help, religion makes us lose focus on what really is important. And they were so concerned with keeping the letter of the law that an, an, an animal was more important than a human being. Question. How does this apply to us today? You know, they, they, they the parables that Jesus told uh, in, in, in his day apply to us just as much as they applied to the people then. So as I, as I sat at my desk the other day and I was thinking about this, I thought, how does this apply to us today? And, and the answer is really, really simple. What motivates you to do what you do? Why are you here this morning? Are you, are you here because, because of obligation? Are you here to find out more about God? They're, 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 why are you here? Could be that you don't want to be here. I don't know. I don't know your heart. But if you're true to yourself and and true to God, this parable is pricking the hearts of the Pharisees and the lawyers and the religious people and causing them to examine their own hearts. What motivates us? Why is it so important that we keep the law but we can let a man literally die because we wanted to keep the law? There's something wrong with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as I, as I, as I thought about this, I, I kept coming back to this, this, this passage in 1 Corinthians um, uh, that Paul was trying to teach to the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11 uh, through 15, it says this, 
For our foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's works of what sort it is. If any man's works abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's works shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet also by fire. So let me, let me see if I can illustrate this truth to you. Because, because what Paul is telling the church of Corinth is really important. It goes to the heart of why do you do what you do? In this passage, Paul likens our works to six things. Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble. Six different things. And and basically what he says in this passage is he says, hey, for every good work that you do, you will receive one of the six things. Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. And, and the question then becomes, what is, what is the difference between the first three and the last three? The last three can be burned up. Wood, hay, stubble. And it says here that they will be tried by what? Fire. So, if you can for lack of better terms, you can earn six different prizes. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know what I mean. <clears throat> if, you, if every work that you do, you get one of the six things. What separates the wood, the wood hay stubble from the gold, silver, precious stone? Okay, it's the what can be burned up, but but what? Um, let's see, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, okay, um, but what would constitute a good work that you would get wood, hay, stubble versus gold, silver, precious stone? Why, if if one work could earn all six? Why would I not always get gold, silver, precious stone? Your heart. The motive, the motive behind the work. Let me see if I can illustrate it to you this way. Here, this morning I talked about these blessing bags. <clears throat> and say say this morning you grab a whole bunch of these and you you head down uh, over to Walmart here and there's there's somebody standing on the corner and you and you 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 pull in and you see them and you think okay on the way out I, I need to give them a bag so you go into Walmart you do your thing you come back out and you you pull up to the window you pull up to the corner you roll down your window and you say here man my pastor said I had to give this to you What did you just earn? 
wood, wood, hay, or stubble. Probably stubble, okay? Now, how many of you have ever done something really good with a bad attitude? Other than me, is there anybody else who's ever done that? Anybody? But how many times have you pulled up to a corner and you were excited and say, hey, hey, man, let me, let me give you. By the way, what's your name? Can I pray for you? What did you earn? Gold, silver, or precious stone. See, it has to do with the heart. And what God is, what, what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthian believers, he's saying, hey, what motivation you use, what motivates you will depend on the gifts that you're given. Because, you, because the work, it was a good work. So at that day, God is going to walk up to you and he's going to hand you a whole armful of things and you're going to go, wow, look at all the good things that I did. And he's going to say, okay, stick it in the fire. The question is, what do you pull out? See, a lot of it's going to be burned up. It's going to be tried by fire. But only the gold, silver, precious stone will you be able to pull out of the fire. So the question is, what motivates you to do what you do? Why are you here this morning? If you're here for the, for the wrong reason, I hope by the end of the service, you change your heart. Why are you here? What, why do you do what you do? And see, and this is what Jesus was trying to get across to these religious people. What is the motivation? Point number two, what is really important? What is really important? Verses 7 to 11, we've already read it. Jesus goes, he, he gives us uh, this parable of a, of a wedding and, 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 and that uh, basically, <coughs> in a nutshell, what he's talking about here is going in and, and, and uh, they had a, a system, if you would, of seating that was more important than others. And the, the closer you sat to the head table, um, the more important you, you felt. Okay? Let me illustrate it to you this way. In 19, <clears throat> 1980, I reported on board the USS Frank Cable in Charleston, South Carolina, January 2nd, 1980. About the middle of January... I was assigned to the wardroom. Does anybody know what the wardroom is? A couple of head bobs, okay? The wardroom, for lack of better terminology, was the officer's mess or the, the, the officer's galley, was what, but we called it the wardroom. And I was a waiter in the wardroom. And I had to wear my dress uniform to work every day. It was horrible. I hated it. Um, but one of the very first things, my very first day on the job, one of the guys takes me into the wardroom 
And he explains to me, this long table here in the middle of the, of the wardroom, and there were, there were multiple tables all around, but this, this one was right in the middle of the wardroom. And he said, you need to know this, but the, the XO sits right here. The XO is the executive officer, the second in command on the ship. And because our ship was big enough, the commanding officer had his own mess. So that meant that the highest ranking officer in the wardroom was the executive officer. So he says, this is his seat. Nobody sits here but him. Okay. I didn't care. I mean, I was a, I was a E nothing, you know. <clears throat> and he said, now, to his right, I, and I forget the names of all the guys, but uh, uh, Commander so-and-so or Lieutenant Commander or whatever would, will sit here because he's the next ranking officer. And then to his left will sit the next and then to his right, and then to his left, and then and it would it would seesaw down the table from most important to least important. Another thing that was I found interesting that when the all the officers would come in and they would find their seats. Nobody could eat until the executive officer picked up a, a piece of his silverware. Everybody, everybody in the room, everybody in the room had their eyes on one person, the executive officer. And he had this really bad habit because the guy who sat to his immediate left or immediate right was a good friend of his. So he would oftentimes come in, sit down, and they'd start talking. And everybody's food's getting cold. So finally he would he he would realize that and he and he would do he would go, oh, and he'd pick up a fork or something, and then everybody <laughs> that is Basically, what Jesus is talking about here in this parable, the, the pecking order, if you would, of importance of that day. But in verse 7, look at verse 7, because this is really key. Verse 7, he says, And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden. What is the word when? It's a, it was what we call a connecting word. He he didn't he didn't give the parable until after when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms. So what happens is in the day I do, I did a lot of reading on this. So basically this is this is what happens is all the guests are assembled, and then when they when, you know basically when they announce hey soups on everybody scrambles for the most important seats 
But what would happen was if someone got too far up the chain and the host said, hey, I want you to sit here, he would literally go to someone and say, hey, you need to get up and go down and put, put this person here. And, it, and one of the jobs that I had in, in the wardroom, because I, I worked in the, as a waiter, is it was my responsibility to make sure the right officers were in the right places. And if we had a new officer come aboard, fortunately this never happened to me, but if a new officer came in and sat in the wrong spot, guess who got to tell him? It was part of my job. Like I said, fortunately it never happened. But that would have been incredibly incredibly embarrassing. And that is the picture that Jesus is trying to tell them here. You know, it's better to start off low and say, hey, no, I want you to come up here instead of, hey, you know what? You're too high up the chain. And this is the parable that Jesus is trying to get them to understand. Understanding truth. In the wardroom, I found out something very important. And that is this. The officers that were really the ones that made the ship run, the ones that were really important, were not the ones that sat at that table. They were the ones that sat on the, on, on the other tables. The ones that came into lunch dirty, came straight from work. The uniform soiled. Why? Because they were, the, they were the ones that were important. Now the ones at that table felt important. Why? Because the closer they got to the XO, the closer they got up the food chain. And what Jesus is trying to teach the people here is that What is important? Where you sit at the table or the character of the individual? See, this is an important truth that we often fail to recognize. We all want to sit at the, at, at the, at the head table and to get as close as we can, but Jesus is saying, you know what, that's not what is important. Success that comes from self-promotion is not true success. Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 and 7. Put not forth thyself in the, in the presence of, of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than th- that thou shouldst be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. Even even Solomon in the book of Proverbs says the same thing. Albert Einstein once said this, try not to become a man of success, but try to become a man of value. And what I found 
the men that were the most valuable on our ship were not the ones at the head table. Jesus' emphasis is on character, where the human emphasis is on importance. And what people think of me, what people think of me, Jesus is saying, you know what? You got your priorities all mixed up. You got your priorities all mixed up. Character. Character is far more important than what people think. God is impressed by what motivates us. The prophet Samuel learned this lesson when, <clears throat> when he was told to choose a new king. God sends him to the house of David. I, I just lost his dad's name. What's um, Jesse? The house of Jesse. And he sends, God sends Samuel the prophet to, to the house of Jesse. And, and in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, it says this, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. What was he doing? He walked in and he, and he, he went to the house of Jesse and he sees Eliab, David's older brother, and he sees him, he says, that is, that, that's the man. He had to have been a good, big, strapping, you know. But he looks at, he looks at Eliab and says, that's it, that, that's got to be him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. Why? Because God could see the heart. Because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as men seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. What motivates you to do what you do? What motivates you to do what you do? And then point number three in closing, I want to, Wrap this up very quickly here. What, what is lacking? What, what is lacking? Uh, look, look at verse 12. Uh, 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 and then he said also to him uh, that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they are bid thee again, and, in, and, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee. For, they, for, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. What were they lacking at this dinner that Jesus was at? They were lacking compassion. They were lacking compassion. Jesus knew that the host had invited all of his friends 
Everyone there was there for two reasons. For recompense. Okay, what, what, what does that mean? In that day, what they would do is they would, uh, if, if let, let me put it to you this way. If you were to invite me to dinner, my wife and I to dinner, then we would then be obligated to reciprocate. We would have to, by custom, say, okay, you know, you go over, you have a nice meal. Okay, hey, why don't you guys come over next Friday night? And it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And what was happening at these feasts were these people were getting together and the people that they would invite were the people that would invite them. And it was this vicious cycle that was going on. And Jesus said, look, you're not doing this because you like these people. You're trying to buy favor. And that's exactly what they were doing. Because the closer they could get to the head table, the more important they felt. And Jesus says that's the worst reason in the world. You need to invite the lame, the 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 the, the sickly, the the you know. As I was reading this passage and, and meditating on it, a verse popped into my head. Jude chapter well, it's, there's only one chapter in Jude. Um, verse 22 in the book of Jude. And some have compassion, making a difference. And some have compassion, making a difference. Now I'm going to, I, hopefully I gave these two verses to Chris because I want to, uh, did I give you Matthew 9.36? Okay, Matthew 9.36. I wanna, I'm going to put two verses up here. We're going to read them. And then I want, I want you to tell me if you can find the cause of Jesus' compassion. Okay, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. It says, but when he saw the, the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. So Jesus, in these two verses, was moved with compassion. But what caused his, his compassion? There's a, there's, a, there's a simple word in these two verses that was the cause of his compassion. Anybody? No. It's three letters. He saw. The word saw... The word saw here means Jesus went forth and he saw a great multitude. What that word saw there means, it means that the, he was able to, to see them, but not just see them, but to, to see them. Kind of going back to the word watched, and when, when, they, when they watched Jesus, they watched intently. This is not the same word, but it's very similar in a sense. Because when Jesus saw them, it, it, it literally means that he had knowledge of or understanding of what was going on in their lives. He just didn't see them as random people. He looked at them and he saw them. And when he saw them, he saw their situation and he had compassion on them. 
Have you ever been in a forest? You know what a forest is? Okay, it's these tall, skinny things called trees. Okay. <laughs> have you have you ever been in a forest and really looked at a single tree? What do we what do we normally do in a forest? Well, you worked in the forest. Okay. What what do you do? You just kind of okay. I'm in the forest. Okay. But what this word saw here is that Jesus focused on a tree in the forest. And he had compassion. And when we go into a forest, the same we can do the same thing on the desert. We can get so caught up with the the the, the awesomeness of the of the place that we're at, we lose the beauty of a single flower in the desert. Our world today, we can become so busy. We can become so consumed with the things of the, that are around us that we don't see the very people that God tells us we need to reach. We, we see people, but we don't See them. And we can get so caught up with all of the peripheral that we lose our compassion. Because it was not customary for, for, the, for, the, for a feast for somebody who was rich and religious like these people to invite the, the poor and the main and, and all the, the, the handicapped people and all. They, they would never do that in a million years. But Jesus says in verse 14 that if you were to do this, verse 14, and thou shalt be blessed. And your, your, recom, your recompense will happen at the resurrection. You'll, you'll get recompense. You'll get paid back. And just probably not on this earth. So often we get so consumed with all of the the peripheral things of life and we fail to realize this very simple truth. Let me say say this in closing. I, I need to tie this up. What is Jesus after in the hearts and lives of the people at this feast that he was at? What was Jesus after? their hearts. That's why he told the parable. Because he, 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 he realized that, that they, they were misunderstanding truth. Why did Jesus give them verses 12 to 14? Because they needed to understand There are people all around us that need truth. Someday, we will stand before Jesus and he will give us an armful of gifts, if you would. Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. 
And we are going to try our works by fire. My question to you this morning is, what are your gifts going to look like? Are they going to, are they going to be consumed with the fire? Because my motivations were selfish? Or am I going to be able to pull it out and have a pile of gold, silver, precious stone and then turn around and say, Jesus, I give it back to you. What are you going to do? What, what is that day going to look like in your life? Parables are all about the hearts of men. What is the motive for you? What, 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 motive, what motivates you? What is really important to you? Fame? Riches? I can't answer that. Only you can. And then what is lacking in your life this morning? Compassion? Understanding truth? Again, I can't answer that. But Jesus knows your hearts. And that's the one thing he desires of you more than anything else is your heart. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Because the reality is this, we fail you way too often. And what we ask is we bring our service to an end, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge our thinking, and that you would help us, dear God, to be more like you. I'm so thankful for everyone who's here to, this morning. and Lord, But more importantly, I'm thankful for the Word of God and the way that it can change lives. Thank you for your love and for the work you do. Help us, dear God, to never forget that you want our hearts. Help us to always be willing and ready and willing to surrender our hearts to you. With every head bowed.